passages together today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those who reclined at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later would betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth about a year's wages, he said. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the money in the bag and used to help himself to what was put therein. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It is meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mark gives us a little more information. If we read it just that way, it would appear that they were meeting in Lazarus' house, Mary and Martha both there. But Mark gives us a little more information. And uh, in the 14th chapter, now the Passover was near the Feast of Unleavened Bread, only two days away, and the chief priests of the teachers were there. While he was at Bethany, he reclined at the table in the house of a man named Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made her of pure mard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume upon his head. Some of those present saying indignantly one to another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her sharp, sharply. Leave her alone, Jesus said. While she was here, do not bother her. She has done a very beautiful thing on me. The poor you always have with you, you can help them anytime, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on his body beforehand to prepare for his burial. I tell you the truth, though wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told as a memorial for her. That's an interesting visit to make this morning. In Bethany, Lazarus was at the table had been raised from the dead. But this was held in the house of Simon the leper, which indicates that this man, too, was indebted to the Lord for his very life. He couldn't have been there as the host of this dinner had not Jesus miraculously, supernaturally delivered him from an incurable disease. Can you imagine the table talk? Lazarus and Simon. Lazarus being dead four days, being called back to life. And Simon, who had 
this dread incurable disease touched and transformed by the power and presence of the Lord. And there, Mary bringing a year's wages. I don't know what you make in a year, but you can equivalent, equivalent, give the equivalent this morning in that priceless box of nard as she at, at this table poured out a year's worth of perfume over the body and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. I somehow feel like we're at that table again, Monroeville, this morning. Many of us have been raised from the dead. Many of us have been healed by the power of God of sickness and disease. And indeed, this morning, we, we want to come with extravagant worship to say, Lord, we love you. We just, we want to celebrate this table this morning with an expression of love that, that truly we take that which is dear and pour it out on you this morning because we love you that much. We love you that much. Thank you for loving us the way you did. Enough to die. Enough to bleed and suffer on our behalf. And we want you to know this morning, Lord, in this service, at this table, you need to know that the blood of Jesus is still powerful today. He's still able to forgive. He's still able to raise the spiritual dead to life. I believe what he did for Simon, he's still able to do here in this room. Don't you? At this table, I believe there still is the ongoing ministry, the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. So whatever needs you brought into this room today, there's enough and what's represented in your hands to totally and completely take care of that. Thank you, Lord, for the bread, the broken body. Thank you for the shed blood. Thank you for the miracles that we are in this room today. Every one of us, having been changed by the power of the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, made alive, redeemed, not of corruptible things, but of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just simply need this morning, personally and together, to say, thank you, thank you, Lord. And at this table to come and bow before you and pour out our heart with a genuine expression of worship. That fragrance filled the house. That fragrance must have lingered on Jesus through the following days wherever he went. It had saturated his hair, his garments. It must have gone with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. It must have gone with him before Pilate and Caiaphas. They must have smelt the aroma as they stripped the garments away and laid the lashes on his body. 
Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, we will. We will this morning pour out on you our love. The way you poured out your love for us. The rest of John and Mark give us the record of what we will do together. I'm reading from Mark's Gospel 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Let's share it. he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it and Jesus said this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many and he said I tell you the truth I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God and then they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's share together this cup. White as snow, no other found. I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Stand with me and sing it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. shake hands with at least a dozen people get acquainted if you don't I don't think we can overemphasize the need for or the power 
of prayer. And it's important, I think, that we appreciate the promise of God as it relates to prayer. I think we need to do this perhaps better than we do anything else. Because to the degree we do this well, we will do all other things better. Would you agree? If we know how to pray, and if we do call on God and look to him and receive from him in prayer, he said, I will answer you. As I did a little word search and clicked on great and mighty, the Hebrew word there is unreachable. Out of your reach, that which you cannot obtain. God's saying, I will help you do what you cannot do for yourself. Another translation, another definition was fortification, that which is so fortified you have no way of penetrating, no way of getting in to receive or to take that which you need. God said, I will make available to you. If you will call on me, I will make available to you that which you find unavailable or you need which you cannot get. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Prayer provides for us the promise of God. To illustrate this, maybe it might help. This will be my 40th year. This year I've been married to a five foot one, very, very beautiful lady. Our kitchen cabinets go all the way to the ceiling and the top shelf is like seven and a half feet away. That's quite a distance between five foot one and seven foot six. So those things she don't, doesn't use very often, she puts on the top shelf. And uh, when she needs those particular items, she, she will call on me. And I will answer her. <laughs> and I will reach for her what she cannot reach for herself. So you understand where we are this morning. She can stand on tiptoes, but she cannot reach what she needs to have. So she will call and I will respond and get for her what she cannot get for herself. You need to appreciate uh, what this statement is making to us today. God, through prayer, makes accessible to us what we cannot find ourselves. Call on me and I will answer you. That I will is the 11th time God has said this. So to understand what he's saying in this verse, we need to look back to the previous chapter, and we will talk about those other 10 I will. There is a repetition of the promises of God. I will, I will, I will. He is saying that to Jeremiah and through Jeremiah to the people of God. And so this is the 11th. God is making that particular statement in promise. I will answer you. Chapter numbers are man-made. They are there to help us find scriptures that we're, we're wanting to look at, but they are not inspired. So sometimes you need to look back to the previous chapter to get the sense of the chapter ahead. So in chapter 32, we need to kind of take a look at what God is doing in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah at the present time is in prison. He's in 
prison for telling the truth. And the king, as was the custom throughout Israel's history and still today, the truth is not something welcomed by everyone. When you understand the ministry of the prophet, it is not one that receives much applause. There's some preaching that will get applause almost if you stop for a breath. But the, the ministry of the prophet is one that is not welcomed often. And when you read the, the record of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the New Testament, John the Baptist was beheaded for confronting Herod with his sin. And Stephen was stoned because you have always, he said, you have always stoned the prophets. You have always disregarded and disobeyed the voice of the prophet. And they, they were so angry that they ran on him and gnashed him with their teeth and took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Jesus was crucified for speaking the truth. The truth is not always the most welcome message, but it is the most essential message. It is not a popular preaching message, but it is absolutely profitable. And so we find in this passage, Jeremiah, there were other prophets who were telling him, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be cool, it's going to be okay. They were all kind of words, but God said, they have not heard from me. They are speaking out of their own minds and out of their own mouths. They are not, they are not authorized to say what they're speaking. They are not truly speaking the word of God. So Jeremiah is in the, in the dungeon, and they had cast him into a pit up to his arms in mire because he spoke the truth. That is not always a welcome message throughout history, even to this present day. There are five things I want to talk to you about today, and, and the, the first of which is beginning in chapter 32, uh, beginning of the first verse, this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. Receiving from God answers to prayer, we must have a need. I appreciated the chorus we sang early in the service, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I can't make it through this life on my own accord and uh, we must recognize the need the need currently in in uh, Jeremiah's day was the Babylonian army had besieged Jerusalem they were already there at the threshold they had already surrounded the city and they were about to march in and totally destroy the city burn it to the ground and they were about to take the people and carry them away as prisoners of war so there was, a, there was an army, there was an enemy that they did not have the power to resist. And they had a need. That need was we cannot defend ourselves. We cannot possibly resist the enemy that's standing, surrounding us at this very moment. First thing is that we've got to recognize our need. We generally do not call for help until we realize we need help. And at times, 
We don't recognize that we do need the Lord, deceived by the fact that everything seems okay. But we need him. I need you, Lord. And if we call on him in our need, he will answer us and show us great and mighty things. Now, I'd like to couple this with, with a verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. For my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I want us to understand the context of that. We know it's a thank you note that Paul is writing back to the church at Philippi saying, I really appreciate the way you've stood beside me and supported the ministry, even though right now I'm in prison in Rome. I'm writing you a thank you note because of the gift you sent to me by way of Epaphroditus. And it has blessed me. Not that I needed the gift, but I know what's going to happen to you as a result of your generosity is that it is going to bless and return to your account. And he said, I, I want you to know that when I, when I was in need, no other church really supported me the way you did. You alone. And because of that, he is giving that church a very particular promise and statement saying, my God shall supply all of your need. Sometimes we pat a missionary in the back and say, I know, brother, go ahead, God will supply all of your need. But we don't have that. We have the missionary turning back to the church and saying, because of what you've done, church at Philippi, you need to know that your sacrifice will not leave you short because my God is going to reimburse you. My God is going to bless you and he will supply all of your need because of what you have given. It will be given again to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And I don't want us to see this only in the context of material or financial reimbursement or blessing, but I want to take that little word, all, and burn it into our spirit this morning. My God shall supply not your financial need alone, that's part of it, but he said, my God shall supply, say it with me, all. What does that include? That includes my material blessing. That includes my physical need. That includes my spiritual need. That includes my domestic need. My God, since you have invested in Paul's ministry, he will bless this church, this Philippian church, physically, materially, spiritually, domestically. All of their needs will be supplied by the riches of God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that a tremendous statement? And my God shall supply all of your need. We need to know first that we have a need. Let's kind of define, maybe demonstrate what, uh, what a need is. I need a volunteer. Jason? <laughs> Ken, why don't you come too? Two volunteers. Come on up here, stand by me. And they're going to demonstrate what a need is. Now, how long can you hold your breath, Jason? <laughs> Ken, how, how, old you, how long do you think you can hold your breath, Ken? We're going to have a little race here and see who can, who can do this the best. Right, breathe out now, all the way out. Breathe in, real deep breath. Breathe out again. Next one in, you're going to hold it, okay? Breathe in. All right, hold it. No cheating. 
You want to have a little testimony or song here? <laughs> Still holding it? No breath? Okay, that's uh, 25 seconds. 30 seconds. Thirty-five seconds. Hey, these guys are not bad, aren't they? Forty seconds. <laughs> okay, not bad. Let's give them a hand. Now, let me ask you a question. When you reach that 40-second point, if I had had $1,000 and said, can you have a choice, this 1000 or another breath, which would you have taken? <laughs> you can't have both now. If you get the money, you can't breathe anymore. Which would it be? Another breath. Because you had a need. You can't live without air. You understand where I am this morning? I can't make it through this life on my own. I need you, Lord. Someone has said, what will it take to really receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? One guy said, take a bucket of water, put your head in the, in the bucket, and when you want God as desperately as you want air, When you want God as desperately as you want air. Because sometimes, you know, we're not really as, we don't sense our need as desperately. These two guys up here were sensing their need. Would you agree? You know what I believe in the church today? We need to, we need to get desperate. The enemy's encamped all around about us. He's about to besiege us and take take us into captivity. He'll take us and hold us hostage. We need to recognize our need. It's out of our need. Until you know you have a need, we're never going to call on him so he will answer us and reach on that shelf, that top shelf. He can reach the top shelf and get for us what we cannot get for ourselves. I have some verses of scripture. We won't take the time to post them today, but it says, God gives us our breath. He breathed in the man initially and gave him the breath of life. And you know what? Except God gave you that breath, you could not live. You are indebted to the Lord for the very breath you're drawing into your lungs right now. He gives that to you by grace. It's just He is supplying that need to you because without it, you could not live. Rest is the next need we have. I said to some, go ahead and rest. I know you've worked hard. Your body's going to quit whether I'm preaching or whether, whether I'm not preaching. You, you, your body will just shut down. You can't live without sleep. God made us. He made us to need air. 
He made us to need sleep. He made us to need food. He made us to need water. We can't survive without these things. They are absolute needs. They are not niceties. They are needs. They are absolutely essential to life. Some things we can get along without. Some things we cannot survive without. What I'm saying to us this morning is there, there has to come a point in our lives where you say, Oh God, I recognize, I, I need you. I can't live without you. I think that's the word that came forth prophetically while we were just preparing our hearts for communion this morning. Moses said, God, I need your presence. If your presence doesn't go, I don't want to go because I can't, I can't do without your presence. It is an absolute essential in my life. I've got to have you, Lord. Salvation, you see, is, is a need. And only God can reach the top shelf for you. You can't get it without him. Can't get it without him. You can't get to heaven without Jesus reaching up and receiving for you the gift of eternal life and giving to you what you could never earn or deserve or merit on your own. You could go door to door and you could witness to everybody in the world and work your way. You're never going to make it through. You just, you can stand on tiptoes and try your best. You're never going to get there by yourself. But oh, it's free. If you call on him, that's why he said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be say and I believe I could have probably promised Ken a million dollars what good would that million dollars do if he couldn't take another breath Jesus said how can a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul is anything worth more than your soul Is anything worth more than your soul? You see, he'd have the million dollars in his hand, but he would be dead in four minutes. Your brain, absent oxygen for four minutes, you're dead. Your brain will just return to mush. Wouldn't matter what you had in your hands. What you really need is air. And what you and I really need this morning is Jesus. Because all the money in the world is never going to get you into heaven. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, would mind staying there for a while. First of all, we need to know our need, our need for God. Secondly, we need to hear God. That's in verse 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. And he gave some specific instructions. He said, I want you to buy some real estate. Bad time for buying real estate when the enemy is just about to occupy the ground. But the word of the Lord came to him and said, I, I want you to buy this land. Actually, it's yours to buy. It's your, your inheritance. You have a right to do it. And I want you to do it. Bad timing strange thing God to ask him 
to do something special. But if you are in need of something and you bring that need, second thing you need to do is get a word from God. You need to hear from God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he asked him and told him to do something. And it may seem a little difficult or strange to do, but when we obey the Lord, something begins to take place in our life. Buy some real estate? Well, he not only heard God, he obeyed God. He says, I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. He did it immediately, he did it publicly, and he did exactly what the Lord asked him to do. We, once we know our need and we begin to look toward God, God is going to speak and he's going to give us some specific instruction. And we have to hear that present need receiving a specific present word from God. We can't do what other people have done. We can't do what we've done before. We've got to do what God is speaking to us to do now at this present time. The tendency is to look at what others have done and do what they did. It worked for them, it'll probably work for us. I think the same thing holds true sometimes for churches because what God did in blessing in one district or in one state, we're just going to take that model and, and we're going to make it work here. But it's not necessarily what God is doing here. You see, when Moses stood before the Red Sea, God told him, stretch out your rod over that sea. And when he did, that sea parted on both sides and they walked across. When he got on the other side, he turned around and put the rod out over that water and it just folded up and just buried and drowned all the Egyptians. Forty years later, when Joshua stood on the bank of Jordan and God wanted them to move from the wilderness into their inheritance and he knew they had a problem Jordan four times in that chapter it says the Jordan was at flood tide and God said to Joshua take the ark of the covenant put it on the heart on the on the shoulders of the priests and walk toward now how many have seen recently some floodwaters, a stream that is swollen and it is raging with flood. It's at flood tide. But Joshua heard from the Lord and he said, I want you to put this ark on the priest's shoulders and have them walk right toward the water and when their feet get wet, the waters are going to part. Now, had been me, I would have said, Lord, now I like the way Moses did it better. Why can't I just stretch out a rod? Why did that work for Moses? Because that was a specific word God gave to Moses. It worked because he was obeying the specific word God gave him. But that was not the word he gave Joshua. Joshua had received different instructions from the Lord. And so he was doing exactly what he was instructed to do. You see, the next thing, faith comes by hearing. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
by the field. I knew this was the word of the Lord, and so I bought the field. Know that there's a need. Hear from God and obey God. I knew it was him. And you know what? If, if you take the time to read this whole passage, it is really rich. He did it publicly in, in the presence of Barak, verse 13. These instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both sealed and unsealed copies, the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. Well, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be brought in this land. He said, take it and put it in a clay jar so it will last a long time. What's implied by those instructions? It's not going to happen right away. This deliverance is not going to happen immediately. This is going to take a long time. Take this deed, the sealed one and the unsealed one, and put them in a clay jar because this is going to take a while. We need to understand the working of God. Sometimes the answers are not immediate. Sometimes they take decades. But we need to let the timing be his. This is going to take a while. And it did. It took years for this promise to be fulfilled after I have given the deed of purchase to Barak I prayed to the Lord know your need hear from God obey God and begin to praise God verse 16 after this given the deed to Barak the son of Nera I prayed or praised the Lord ah oh, sovereign Lord you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment of the father's sins upon the laps of their children. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth. Before anything is changed, he's worshiping and praising the Lord. He is looking at the creator God. He's looking at the power of God, rejoicing in the provision of God, and he's worshiping the Lord. Nothing's changed except he is beginning to praise and worship the Lord already. And you can read it on down through to verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? If you highlight your Bible, that's a good verse. You'll go back to that from time to time. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And then we trust God. We just simply put our trust in his integrity. And I want you to follow me as I read from verse 36. And if you'd like to just underscore the I wills, the ten I wills to close this chapter. 
You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says, I will surely gather them from the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and my great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will surely plant them in the land with all my heart and soul. This is what the Lord says. As I have brought all the great calamity on this people, I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. I will give them all the prosperity I've promised them. Once more, fields will be brought to this land to which you say it is desolate and waste without men and animals. For it has been handed over to the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver and deeds will be signed, sealed and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, the villages around Jerusalem and the towns of Judea, the towns of the hill country the western foothills of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declared the Lord. Call on me and I will answer you. Tremendous promise. At least 11 promises right there of what God says I will do. Call on me and I will answer you. Let me ask you this morning, what do you need? What do you need? What have you come into the service this morning saying, God, I'm on my tiptoes and I just can't, I can't reach it. I don't have, I don't have the resources I need, Lord, physically, spiritually, financially, domestic. I can't reach it, Lord. I've got a need. Is there something you can't, you can't reach, you can't lay hold of? Or have you come into this room this morning and say, I don't, I don't really need anything, Pastor. I, everything's good. Unless we really have a desperate need, we're not going to call on God. Our prayer life is going to be very mediocre. Unless as a church we know what our need is, we're not going to pray. We're not going to really call on God. What is our need? You see, lukewarmness, the, 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 the problem with lukewarmness is we can't even see our need. Laodicean church said, I'm rich and increasing good. I don't need anything. God said, you don't know that you're naked and poor and wretched and miserable and blind. 
Lukewarmness has a condition about it that says, you, know, you can't even see. You don't even know. You don't even recognize. You don't even feel your need in your own estimation of things. You know, everything's fine, cool. I, you know, I'm rich in increasing goods. I don't need anything. But the Lord said, oh, yeah, you, you do. You don't know that you do, but you do. You know, the Lord loved the Laodicean church. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I'm glad the Lord loves the lukewarm, aren't you? He loves us. And to that church, that it was at the lowest and it gets the worst press, you read the last part of the promise. He said, you're going to sit with me on my throne. You're going to be co-ruler with me. You're going to occupy the place of power and privilege with me on my throne. God's able to take us from our lowest spiritual condition and elevate us to the highest possible place because he loves us that much. And all I'm saying to us this morning is our prayer life will be reflected by our sense of need. He's promised to supply all of our need. And I want you to get a, a picture of Jason and Ken and the, the different colors that they turned while they were up here this morning. Until finally they said, oh, oh I got to, I can't go another second. I got to have air. Until we say, God, I, you know what, God, I can't go another step. I need you. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Otherwise, we can go days and days without really calling on God. As a church, we can just go right through our programs without ever calling on God, reaching out for God. Stand with me, please. I want us to sing that chorus again.